Hello and welcome to Cobden Centre Radio with me, Andy Duncan. Dave Birch of Consult Hyperion recently interviewed our Cobden Centre chairman, Toby Baxendale. They spoke about the purpose of the Cobden Centre and FA Hayek's views on competing currencies. We thought you might like to hear it. Welcome to Tomorrow's Transactions, the Consult Hyperion podcast series. I'm Dave Birch from Consult Hyperion. This week we're talking about big stuff, actually. We're talking about not just alternatives to current payment systems and payment mechanisms, but alternatives to the current monetary system in general. Um, Now, one of the places where some really interesting thinking goes on about this is the Cobden Centre. So I'm very happy to say that I'm sitting next to... Toby Baxendale, Cobden Centre. I founded the Cobden Centre. Thanks for your time, Toby. Really appreciate it. Um, Now, just to give people a sense of context, before we talk about the Cobden Centre and some of the thinking about uh, monetary reform, well, monetary revolution, Mm. I would say, um, can I just ask, how how did you come to this? Your your background is in banking or...? No, no, not at all. I'm uh, an entrepreneur. I built um, uh, the UK's largest uh, fresh fish supplier. Um, Started that uh, just after I left university. Um, and have re- recently sold that in December. Um, and I have, I'm also a director of a, uh, a fund management business, a wealth preservation um, business. So nothing um, to do with banking at all, uh, but um, I did study economics at the LSE, London School of Economics, um, back in 1988 to 91. Well, in fact, I, I'll tell a, tell a slight lie there. I have an economics degree, a bachelor's in science of economics, which you all get given at the LSE, but uh, I did the first year's course, um, and then, you know, when when uh, I remember very vividly uh, when someone showed me the multiplier um, of a pound going in and you know ten pounds coming out the other e- other end being spent through the economy, um, I had a sort of thirty second. Uh, a vision of uh, the elimination of world poverty instantaneously uh, by just spending money and then I suddenly got back to reality and, and, and became quite disillusioned with the economics de- uh, profession there and then I moved into the government and law department um, so so yes yeah, so I technically have some grounding in economics but uh, I only really studied it uh, formally um, in, for, for, for one year um, but that, that gave me my inter- sufficient interest um, in, in the whole money and banking um, set up that's uh, now become so um, important. So what is the Cobden Centre? So the, the Cobden Centre, if, if you look at um, Friedrich Hayek, uh, the Nobel, 1974 Nobel uh, Prize winner, um, he uh, was um, uh, for 21 years at the LSE as one of their, chief, their chief economics professor. Now, by the time I turned up in 1988, uh, not one single uh, person was teaching anything uh, to do with Hayek and the economics uh, faculty at all, full stop, end of story. Um, Hayek uh, was of great interest to me on his social and political science work. Um, and that was, uh, that's what intrigued me about Hayek, but I could never understand why we're, not te- why we're not learning any of his economics at the place he taught, where he won the Nobel Prize and where he taught for 21 years. It was all quite mysterious. So, reading through Hayek's works, um, his denationalisation of money, um, in the, at the very, very last page, and it's page 130 or 131 of that book, um, he, is, he wrote his writing in the 1970s, 
Um, so we're, when we're going through a period of stagnation, stagflation it was called, I mean, you know, that's potentially what we're entering into now. Um, and he wrote uh, right at the very end there that he hopes that there someone can uh, build a movement, an honest, he called it a sound money movement, I call it an honest money movement, a sound money movement that will wrest the people's money back from um, the political control and the debasement that has happened over the last century, just as the Corn Laws were reformed um, in the 1830s. As you may know, the Corn Laws were, were, were really, really um, horrible things that kept food prices extremely high for the benefit of the agricultural landowners and at the expense of you and I, who would have been the common great unwashed at that point in time. Um, so Hayek's drawing the analogy between how our money is debased and it's effectively, um, you know, the common man who gets uh, the, the brunt end of the debasement in terms of their purchasing power going down. And so that's why you decided to form the centre. Mm. But who is it against? I mean, the Corn Laws were a protest against, well, essentially the aristocratic landowners, as you, as you said. So who is, who is the Cobden Centre protesting against? Well, we're, we're um, an educational charity. So we're, we actually, our first mission is to actually get people to be aware um, that uh, the, the debasement of their money, the uh, debasement of their purchasing power is, is, a, is a very bad thing and the culprit always, always goes back to the state and the state monopolization of money um, because they are ultimately in control of who and what is legal tender um, in this country, therefore they are in control of, of how much of it gets created. And every, every time, certainly if you, you know, there are 38 million savers in this country, you know, every time they're creating more of the stuff, and every time they allow banks, because remember, they're the private sector mints, they can create credit ad infinitum, out of nowhere. Um, every, every time they allow this process to happen, um, there's a, a purchasing power loss uh, to, the, to, the, to those people, especially people on fixed income, the poor people, pensioners, um, people on people on welfare benefits who won't be able to get the benefits, the earlier benefits of inflation. Now, the people who get the early benefits of inflation are those people who have the newly created money first, and that does happen to be people on government payrolls and and uh, where they choose to spend their money, uh, and particularly the bankers. So the, the centre is educating people. Um, if, I, if I threw down the sort of central challenge to you, what is wrong uh, with the current system? Um, you know, in a nutshell, what, what is the centre's view on that? Right. Well, at the, at the very start of it, we have a state monopoly of money. Whenever you have a monopoly, you have an abuse of privilege. Um, if I was the monopoly Apple owner, um, in, in, in the United Kingdom, I could charge whatever prices I could possibly get away with. Uh, well, as, as in fact, Steve Jobs does. Or, uh, no, it's, uh, I was meaning a apples is in apples is in. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, just, you know, I, I would charge what, whatever I poss whatever I possibly could. I would, I would, you know, I would abuse my uh, my customers. That's what monopoly is. Monopoly teaches us that that's what's ha that that is what happens. Now we have a state monopoly sector of money. This has not been how, how this has not been how it has been for mankind. Um, 
for, since 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 you know this is only in the most recent of our histories that we've accepted monopoly uh, money of currency owned by the state. So I would actually say I, I'm being very unradical, uh, and I'm actually advocating that we that we return is, to, to money to money it, con controlled by the people. Is it that recent? Because I mean, drawing on our local experience, when Guildford had its first mint. Uh, which was uh, shortly after the reign of Alfred. Um, I'm pretty sure there were all sorts of terrible punishments for people who minted their own money. Yes, absolutely. If you, you so so, the common unit of measure, the the, the measuring um, element is, is is the key to all of this. You can have anyone in the world issuing uh, gold uh, tokens or silver tokens as as these as these mints do. But if you claim your silver token. Or gold token is more than it actually is, um, then you should be terribly punished for that. And I totally agree with that. And that's what law is there for. But fundamentally, it's always been the private. It was always historically the private sector um, that produced uh, our money, and the private sector was the guardian, and the consumer, in fact, was the guardian of the value of, of, of the money. And then, progressively over time, various kings and despots have always. Have always called in the coinage and clipped it and you know, put various impurities in it for their betterment. Um, so, uh, and, and ultimately, we end up um, only in very recent history with uh, with the state um, ownership and monopoly uh, issue of uh, currency. So you've got to remember, right back at the very foundation of money, uh, you think of you think of man man existing in a barter environment. You know that. The, the invention of money came came back came, came came about simultaneously across the globe by people wishing to get out of what's called the double the problem of the double coincidence at once. Um, so, so so you know I, I I I trade my bread for your fish. You don't like my bread. I don't like your fish. Oh sorry, I like your fish still. Um, so we find something we can commonly accept as a good medium of exchange, and that we found to be to be historically some kind of precious metal. Gold or silver. So that's that's that came from the people. There's no top-down state involvement here. The only top-down state involvement in money is always, only, and ever been bad, uh, where either kings uh, have, have have clipped coins and debased, or 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 now in current terms, where 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 our own governments uh, debase um, to uh, to pay to pay off their own indebtedness. So I actually seek to go back. I actually seek to go back to to being the the, the the currency of the realm being controlled by the people, um, from whence it came. Um, so I don't I don't actually think I'm saying anything radical. Um, but it might sound like that to the Bank of England. Yes, yeah, so, well, it, it may well be to them. Yeah, they're they're in the thick of a, a state control apparatus, aren't they? So so from your point of view, so if the problem is the state control mm. of money, the solution is presumably private sector provision of money. How, how do you envisage that working? Well, uh, you, for a money to retain its value, uh, you need to have some in incorruptibility uh, in the money unit. And um, therefore, I, I always seem to go back to being some kind of precious metal that's hard to destroy, that's a store of value. And that's, well, that was gold historically. We've got a perfectly good uh, monetary unit there. Um, there are problems with with any commodity. You don't want to hoik around large bits, lumps of metal in your pocket. Um, that's where people like you come into the into the play here with digital money. You can have digital money that represents um, 
uh, in specific amounts of gold, of gold units and, and um, or silver units or, or whatever commodity that the uh, people people decide. We have paper at the moment, but the, prob- the problem is the paper is not backed by anything. So the paper and the digital units that do exist in the banking system can be can be just created next to no expense. But I still don't quite see how how, what the, how you imagine this is going to work. So somebody starts producing gold money, and some people start using that. Somebody mm. else starts producing, I don't know, mahogany money or kilowatt hours or any mm. of the you know, Totnes pounds or goodness knows what else. Um, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? A shop would have to have... Well, I think very, very rapid. A, a, an exchange rate table next to every till. In Switzerland, you can go in and you can exchange in three currencies in most shops. Now, I wouldn't. I would think very, very rapidly. Um, people will settle on what is the most comp and most efficient medium of exchange, as we have done historically over tens of thousands of years in all humanity across the globe. This is not a difficult problem, um, and I think we will settle on. I, I think if I was to have a bet, uh, I think we would uh, settle on on gold and silver again. And gold and silver, you know, whatever the weight is, uh, gives gives up that uh, that value at whatever it's trading at. So uh, I don't. This shouldn't be uh, any uh, shattering problem for it, for anyone. It's it, it's how mankind uh, did exist, has existed um, since the inception of money. In, I mean, you referred at the beginning to Hayek's denationalisation of mm. money, which is one of the seminal books mm. in this sort of area. Um. In the book, and as you say, you have to remember it was written in the 70s, mm. he said that there are essentially two barriers mm. to, to this world of competing private currencies. Mm. Um, and one is that uh, it would be crazy for, for um, uh, you know, vending machines and whatever to have to accept millions of different coins and mm. all sorts of denominations. So he says, you know, perhaps, perhaps one day people will invent, he calls it a plastic token, so he says, mm. Perhaps you know people will one day invent some kind of plastic token, mm. um, and I think a few years ago people took this to mean the plastic card. Mm. Uh, but I think we can now see actually, it's really the mobile phone is the mm. crucial technology in this yeah. in this space. It's the mobile phone that means you can choose from a menu of currencies when you go to pay for things. It's the mobile phone which means you can accept. Payments as well as as well as give. I mean, a, a card is good for paying a shop. It's no mm. good for paying another person. Mm. Whereas there's a symmetry about mobile. Phones. Yes. So that problem, I I, I think, uh, from a technological perspective, mm. I can see how that problem can be solved mm, technologically. It's really, really fascinating. Though. That's really interesting. Well, you can sort of picture yeah. how it would work, right? Yeah, you because could, yeah. you know, I want to buy something from you. I'm happy for my phone and your phone to sort it out. As long as yeah. they can agree on a market, yes. uh, they can work out some double coincidence. Yeah. You, know, I ha- I have, you want gold, I happen to want kilowatt hours. Yeah. We can find some market that we agree is trustworthy where we can exchange it. Mm. You could sort of imagine how all that would happen. So yeah. I, I, I buy that part mm. of the story. Um, you see, David Manager, it's where that commonality meets the most frequently. Yeah, money is the money is the most marketable of all goods. Yeah, and it's only another good. So it's where that where it's where that meets. Uh, you're the kilowatt man, and I'm the gold man, and some someone else is the conch shells, and someone else is the cigarette guy. You know, where all the billions of people in the world uh, meet and decide effectively through that transactional process what's the most marketable commodity that will become money. 
in, in, in its true in its true real sense because that's the thing that really why, why do people like you and Ron Paul think that that would be gold just it just has got gold isn't that a little backward looking it's very backward looking um, it, it's uh, it, it's looking back entirely to our past and knowing what worked in the past but why 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 gold why gold is good is because it's bloody hard to dig out of the ground yeah Therefore, people people uh, creating, trying to create more of it to debase it, is is very very is very very difficult. So that's why it has a store of value. Now, you as a holder of money, yeah, if, if you are holding those if you are holding those kilowatt, whatever you you know kilowattages, whatever it is, you know how easy is that to replicate? How easy is it to make more of them? Um, because your kilowatts soon soon will not become a store of value. Um, and that's the that's one of the, the the principal things you need. First of all, it's the most marketable thing to facilitate the exchange in the first place. Yeah, I people have got to want to what want to have that good in exchange when they're exchanging their other goods. Yeah, so so gold has all gold has always worked. Now, why won't it work again? Why why are we trying to re right we trying to reinvent the wheel? I don't think you need to. But hey, look. Things may have moved on, and I, I would never, ever, ever want to get in the way of a free discovery, spontaneous uh, market process discovery through freely consenting adults as to what as to what they determine is the most marketable of all commodities, i.e., money. Um, and I'd let that happen. And uh, you know, just like language uh, develops, uh, so 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 does money. I mean, they're very they're very similar things. You know, lang language develops spontaneously; no one owns it and um, money developed that way. I'm sure I saw you a few days ago when I was idly flicking through the TV channels. Mm. Uh, and I happened to accidentally land on something about banks, which mm. I would normally immediately turn, turn over to watch the football or something like yeah. that. Um, but uh, I noticed you being interviewed mm. uh, on it uh, by no less august a body than the BBC. Mm. Um, it occurred to me that some of the the views about the um, the necessity to examine potential alternative mm. monetary arrangements, because in response to the current crisis, I guess, have drifted slightly towards the mainstream. Mm. Um, and now you see things like the Cobden Centre being mm. set up and so on. So some of what you were saying. Would relatively recently have been regarded as certifiably mad, yeah, crazy. definitely, yeah. But um, am I right in thinking that these views are getting more of a more of a, a mainstream hearing now? Yes, I, I think still, if you if you use the gold word, I, I still think you're still considered to be, you know, slightly off piece, quirky, loony, potential. Um, but um, by the BBC or by people in general? Well, I, don't, I think the BBC has a. Corporate uh, voice as, uh, as such. Um, uh, Robert Peston and his team of uh, people, I think, did an extremely good program on a very specific area area of banking. Um, whether they, whether they would look into the origins of money um, and uh, gold and, and potentially its usefulness uh, today, um, I don't know. I, I couldn't speak for them, but uh, it. It, it does seem to me that um, I think because I mean I think I, I don't know how to prove this, but I have a strong suspicion that if you ask the man in the street, mm. you know, what a ten pound note represents, mm. an awful lot of them think there is actually some gold in the Bank of England. Well, there hasn't been since nineteen thirty-three, but mm. um, 
Well, it People was, don't really understand how money works. No, the, 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 I promised to pay the bearer of £10 with £10 is a, is a nonsense, isn't it? It's what, what it actually says on the note. But it, it harks back to the days when it, I promised to pay the bearer £10 in sterling silver. Hayek's other uh, barrier was he said, well, um, you know, people might find it very difficult to conduct business in all sorts of different currencies simultaneously. Although, it was, actually, I have to say, he himself pointed out, using Switzerland as one of the examples that you did, that um, actually people who lived in what he called border areas do it all the time. Um, yeah, did it all the time yeah. without uh, without too much. There are umpteen currencies in circulation yeah. in the UK. You, you speak to the Irish and the Northern Irish who, who live on the border there, and you know they're swapping euros and pounds all the time and doing various things. Yeah. Well, he was thinking he was thinking in borders geographically, mm. um, but it occurs to me that one great change uh, since his time is that borders between and within cyberspace, for want of a better word, are actually kind of more important now. Mm. So, and to some extent, we all live in a border area between, mm. between the physical and virtual worlds. I'm sure it won't have gone unnoticed by you that earlier in the week Facebook said that Facebook credits would become the mandatory currency mm. for, for certain kinds of activity on Facebook. I wonder if, if um, Hayek's uh, vision... Um, uh, might end up being realised in the virtual world, um, mm. but perhaps not not in the physical world. Mm. Well, the virtual world. Let's take let's take a, a Facebook currency uh, is only so good as the issuer. Yeah. So if if Facebook are saying we will only issue uh, a certain amount and that is it, um, and uh, you know currently it, tra- it, it it can it can buy you. X worth of X worth of goods and services, then it might have a, a chance of kicking off. Um, but um, Facebook can presumably add infinite and create as, as, as much of their uh, uh, of their currency as they like, and that, that just that that again goes <laughs> goes back to you need something that is uh, very very difficult to destroy, very very hard to manufacture lots of. Um, uh, otherwise, you don't have a store of value. Um, so, so again, I go back to I go back to um, some some form of precious metals or, or baskets of commodities, um, which you don't have to, you don't have to physically move all these things no, no, around. Right, around. Yeah. As I said you can the, the mobile phone thing is fascinating, and uh, that could well well be well be the way forward. Um, but um, we we need to know that uh, that our, our that uh, our things aren't going to be debased and abused and. So looking forward, wh- where are you going to focus the centre's efforts over the coming year? Well, if we can't make ourselves heard during this banking crisis, uh, I think it's going to be very difficult for us going forward. So we're going to really, really focus on trying to put some input into, into how to reform banking. So just some very moderate, in, moderate improvements to start off with, working within the existing system. So within the existing state-sponsored system, for example, when you go to a bank, we, we, we would suggest that uh, you should be offered, um, do you want your money kept in safe custody or do you want your money uh, lent out to uh, businesses and mortgages and private individuals and so on and so forth? Um, so a bank can either be a, a, a safekeeper of your, of your wealth or a, bank, or a bank can be an investor of your wealth. But never, ever, ever should your bank be a gambler of your wealth. 
Now you go to your you go to your bank, and they should have a fiduciary duty towards you, a duty of trust. I go to a doctor, and if the doctor told me today that he thought I had cancer, God forbid, and I needed surgery and I needed stuff done to me, I'd be saying yes, sir. When let's go and do it because it's a, a relationship of absolute trust. Now this is a relationship that did exist historically. It's a relationship that doesn't exist now. If I if I if I go and take my life savings, my whole entire life savings to a bank, and I entrust it to them, um, and I entrust it to safeguard uh, and to invest wisely, and then they go and put it on a derivative trade, yeah, a, a bet, and then they, they they bet on bets. This is this is a, this is all wrong. I can I can do gambling by going to the high street store, and I can place my money on. On uh, you know what horse is going to win at the toaster on the two thirty? Oh, but there's, there's a slight a difference casino. there, though, isn't there? Because I mean, if if you put your money on some nagger toaster that comes in last, the taxpayer doesn't give you your money back. Well, correct. Well, uh, that's that's that's, oh, wait a that's an argument. Isn't it? Yeah, that's that, that that's of course the case. So I would like I would like to see I would like to see the fiduciary relationship of the banker and the customer restored, the relationship of trust, and make banks professionals again. Um, in, 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 in that respect. And then, by all, you know, the casino banking can still stay as casino banking if you want to have casino banking services, but just don't do it, A, at the expense of the taxpayer, and B, at the expense of your safe, uh, safe deposit accounts, your custodial accounts, and no, normal, normal, normal lending. So, you know, I'm, I'm very much in favour of looking into how to split up the functions of the bank, not necessarily the legal entities, but certainly the functions as a start. It's a fantastic vision, Toby. Thank you so much for sharing it with us.